Welcome to Being the Diet. I am Dr. Stacy. Each week, I invite a guest to share their experiences of being a person of color in white spaces. This week, I'm chatting with Stacy Brooks Alfonso. Today's topic, he ain't heavy, she ain't heavy, they ain't heavy, they're my brother, my sister, a seat at the table, how to use your voice and spot as the dot to help make life better for African Americans and Black people, how to influence the narrative, what about busting stereotypes or being the spokesperson for a whole race of people. Our guest today is able to speak to this really marvelously because part of her work has been to craft a narrative about and for African-Americans, sometimes in her hometown, but most recently in the land of storytelling, Hollywood. Stacey Brooks Alfonso, theatrical marketing, PR influencer, and creative producer, Stacy began her career while attending Howard University in Washington, D.C. Stacy later gained international experience early in her career. On her return to the U.S., she threw her passion behind reaching young met need for diversity marketing. Mecca Communications was created as her solution, and for over 15 years, she brought in-depth understanding of target marketing to communities of color, winning several awards along the way. In 2019, Stacy transitioned to entertainment by creating integrated strategies for film releases at Sony Pictures Entertainment. Her latest projects have included executive producer for several unscripted projects. Daughters, let's welcome our guest dot today, Stacy Brooks Alfonso. So tell tell us a little bit about your trajectory, like what's not on the paper, um, and. Yeah, not all of it, of course, but uh, <laughs> but how you got to the space that you are and um, even how you came to marketing and communications. Okay, so um, when I was in probably in high school, I knew that I wanted to be in entertainment. So it was really funny. So um, when I when I went to Howard, I went in with the thought that I wanted to produce. And that was also the time when Spike Lee came out with Do uh-huh. the Right Thing and, uh-huh. and all the other um, stuff that he put together. So he really inspired me that, uh-huh. like, this is the kind of stuff I really want to put out. And I really want to be, like, another Spike Lee. And uh, as as my college years went on, like that, that's what I did. And I actually, I was tossed between wanting to be an entertainment lawyer and wanting to be a producer. And so, so I majored in English, but I minored in broadcast production so I could get both of it. In my senior year, I I had uh, interviewed, uh, no, I'd done an internship with the National Bar Association working Mm -hmm. um, in their PR department for one of their conventions. And so as I was starting to enter the market, um, coming up towards graduation, Uh I reached out to them and said, Hey, you know, I think I wanted to like, do they remember the internship that I did? And, and he was like, yeah, we remember. And and in fact, um, you know, he came back the next day. I was like, we've got a position we'd like for you to fill. So while I was still in my last year at Howard, I ended up becoming associate editor um, for their magazine. Uh-huh. And so I was like, okay, this isn't really producing, but I was in charge of their communications. Uh-huh. I would, in, I hired um, the people to write the articles, to take the photos. I created the topics. So it had a creative element to it. Sure. And um, that actually took me away from film um, and more into marketing. And I did that for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I even at one point um, left that industry, the publishing industry, um, and started working in cosmetics, believe it or not, in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was looking for my next step. Sure. And, um, you know, a fr- friend of mine was, she was selling cos- um, Estee Lauder cosmetics. Mm-hmm. And making just about as much as I was. And I was like, well, hold up. So 
Ask me uh, makeup to boot. Yeah, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, that gratis was lovely. Uh-huh. <laughs> so so I ended up doing that for a little bit, and that's where I met my husband, who was from Guyana, and he ended up uh, having to go back home um, to help with the family business. And so um, eventually he asked me to marry him, and I moved to Guyana. And so when I got there, um, I was introduced to a gentleman who owned an advertising agency, Guy Enterprise, and it was the largest advertising agency and the oldest advertising agency in the country of Guyana. And um, Mm -hmm. he saw my background and thought that I would be a great fit to work there and help create the commercials and the spots. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting back into producing like I wanted to. So Mm -hmm. I wrote the commercials. Um, You know, I I, I mixed Mm -hmm. some of the marketing that I had learned from the National Bar Association, mixed that with with uh, the producing and the production. And so we were able to create a lot of different campaigns for clients. And um, I did that for a number of years. And then I was appointed to be head of their, they were part of the commission that helped bring businesses into the country. And so that's how I got appointed to being the head of the marketing chair for (laughs) that group. And then also being um, the uh, the head of communications for their ministers of trade and tourism. And that was an amazing experience because that was months of traveling around the Caribbean communities, meeting, meeting you know, their top, being with our top politicians mm-hmm. for the country um, and meeting other country top politicians. And very mm-hmm. interesting fact was that here I was an American citizen. I wasn't even a citizen of Guyana but I was representing Guyana um, to other Caribbean countries. Mm-hmm. Guyana is considered a, a Caribbean country, mm-hmm. by the way, part of the Caracom. So um, it was such an amazing experience that that was the time that I really realized that I could do a lot more than what I thought I could do. And so as time progressed and I actually ended up getting pregnant with my second mm-hmm. child at that point, um, decided that it was probably better to go back to um, uh-huh. to the states and start my career. And luckily, I did. And as soon as I got here, a month later, I had my baby, my second daughter, um, and was looking to see what uh-huh. I wanted to do. And I've always had a passion for analytics and understanding. Like all this time, I've been working and marketing and even in advertising and trying to understand why, why are people buying what we say, you know, like what, what is that motivating factor? And so just after Mm -hmm. doing some research, I decided that I wanted to go into, I wanted to stay in advertising and uh, focus in on media buying because that's where it all starts. And so I ended up getting a job um, in Philadelphia came back to Philadelphia where, where I started mm-hmm. and um, had a great job as a media buyer there. I've talked about the chicken on the bone incident in the previews for the podcast. Here's here's the story where she tells what happened in her workplace around Black people can't afford chicken on a bone. The passion for multicultural marketing came in when they... Um, one of one of our largest uh, clients was Kentucky Fried Chicken (KFC), and they were having trouble reaching the African American market. Now I had been there now for about six seven months, and so in one of our staff meetings, um, the account representatives were presenting their plan for how to reach the African American market, and Philadelphia was one of the target markets. And you mm-hmm. know, being born and raised here. Mm-hmm. And um, everything, I was like, okay, this this should be good. And so as they started presenting the, their strategy, they started talking about putting coupons in um, envelopes at check cashing places the first of the month. And I was blown away because I was like, 
okay, where, where does that come from? I was like, I don't understand. And it turns out that they felt like African-Americans could not afford um, KFC and chicken in the bone and, and that we did not have bank accounts. So they were putting them in check cashing places because it coincided with welfare checks. Me being an African-American, like their target demo, I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, all of my friends and I have bank accounts. I was like, if you have drive- bank accounts for a long time. Yes. yes. PSFS, that was my first one. Yeah. <laughs> have bank accounts. I was like, and if you, if you drive in the populated, the African-American populated areas, I was like, you'll see BMWs, Cadillacs. I was like, I'm sure we can afford chicken on the bone. So I was just like blown away. Like, why didn't someone speak to me? You had a resource right there in the agency Mm -hmm. and no one ever asked me. So, so from that, that point on, I knew that there was a need to be able to adequately communicate to that marketplace and that no one knew really how to do it. And that's when multicultural marketing really started coming into existence. And they were really concerned about the African-American market because at that time, um, that was the largest quote unquote minority market. So, um, so I knew that at some point in time, I wanted to do my own thing and I wanted it to be around a multicultural marketplace. And a few years later, I was able to create Mecca communications, um, as, as part of that. And so really, um, and I didn't talk about how from a, from the sixth grade, I had already been that person. So mm-hmm. it's just that it, it, now it became that this was a lifelong passion and mm-hmm. it still incre- it co- incorporated the creative aspects of what I wanted to do with my life um, and drive a passion to really educate and, um, and not only educate the majority, but also to bring relevant um, tasteful content to our market to oh, okay. address the, yes, we are speaking to you. This is for you. Um, we see you, we acknowledge you kind of a thing like that. And mm-hmm. so that's been, that's been the springing board from Mecca on. One of the things that I have been struck by since beginning the podcast is the weight that our children are carrying around race and racism and even the responsibility that they often feel to educate those in the majority. Stacey shares a, a story that completely lines up with this from the sixth grade. So interesting enough, and I, I don't know to this day why this happened, but you know, growing up in Philadelphia, playing in the background with the rest of my friends, my mom called me in one day and I was I was going into the sixth grade uh, and I'd been going to Philadelphia public schools. I lived in a a middle-class black uh, neighborhood and my mom just asked me out of the blue if I was interested in looking at a Catholic school. And so, and it was a small Catholic school. It, It only, it had one first grade, one kindergarten, all the way up to one sixth. And so I said, sure let's go do it. And we went and we had a visit mm-hmm. that, you know, like with days later and she asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, yeah, let's do it. Now it's crazy because, you know, all my life I'd gone to school with my friends who lived in the, on the same block as me. Sure. So to move away from that, I don't even know what did that for me, but that's what I decided to do. Got my uniform first time. Knew nothing about Catholic Catholicism, Catholicism should I say? Sure. Catholic school, anything. Um, and on the first day of school, uh, bus picks us up, drops us off. Kids are in the playground. I'm looking around. There's me and three other black girls in the entire school. As people started coming up and talking to me, they realized that there was another girl, another black girl, who was entering the sixth grade. And her name was Dion, Dion Davis. You might remember her. I do. And she's straight from Jamaica, mm. mind you, that summer. Mm-hmm. 
And they're asking if we were sisters. What? And I'm like, she has this thick Caribbean accent. I'm living from down the street. And I'm like, why would you ever think that we were sisters outside the fact that we are both black and in the sixth grade? So, and it was the first time they've ever had to deal one-on-one with someone black. So that's why I said since that time period, I mean, there were a lot of myths, misconceptions and things of that Mm -hmm. nature that I had to deal with. And I wouldn't really say prejudice as much as I would say ignorance Mm -hmm. in its truest form of, uh, you know, of the word. They didn't, they didn't understand how to cornrow. They didn't understand our hair, their hair, skin, sunburn, um, music, any of that kind of thing. And so it was Mm -hmm. a real learning experience. But what I will say um, is that, you know, I had two ways of handling that. I could be mad and angry and rude, or I could open up to them and knock down some of the things that they had thought. And so I chose to to take on that aspect of it. I mean, there were frustrating times, but but definitely that's when I, I really realized that it's a lot about education versus, mm-hmm. versus anger and ignorance. Sure. And, and I'll tell you that by the end of that school year, um, they actually voted me to be the May queen, um, which, which, yeah, I mean, I wasn't Catholic and it was the first year that they weren't picking out of the hat. They actually voted. So um, I would say that, that that really meant a lot to me um, mm-hmm. about the relationships that I had started to develop there. And, and just really how to carry myself. Sure. And so that went on into high school, which then it was a much bigger African-American population. Mm-hmm. And there was the diversity factor because, you know, coming into to a Catholic high school, way in the, the mainline suburbs, um, a lot of them again. So it was, you know, finally a chance for me to be back with people um, within my community, other mm-hmm. African Americans, but then there was a diversity because we came from all parts of Philadelphia. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So um, there was that range, and so it again, it was almost like starting over mm. because there was a whole new audience of mm-hmm. of non ethnic people <laughs> to have to to talk to and deal with, and and it's so funny, um, a funny story. Freshman year, and this is one of my best girlfriends here in California now. We're, we're still friends. Freshman year, she, she's, she's white. And, you know, we had these segregated tables. Uh, mm-hmm. where at lunchtime. Lunchtime and at breakfast and everything. And so at lunchtime, I'm sitting there with my friends and, you know, we're talking and laughing. And this white girl comes up, Deb, and she sits down at the table and she says, I got a joke for you guys. And so we're like, okay, cool. And she says, um, how do you keep a black kid from jumping on the bed and we're like how and she says you put velcro on the ceiling and we just all were like and then one of my friends said girl if you would have said that to anybody else you would not be living (laughs) and and again she didn't do it out of ignorance at all it was just she thought that we would think it was funny and we were like you got balls, chick. And honestly, to this day, she's she's one of one of um, my best friends. But I mean, it was just like that kind of environment of always having to. I mean, it's almost like not a beauty pageant, but you know, you have to kind of if you're conscious enough, then you're representing. You realize that you're representing, and again, you could do it either way. So sure. that that's been like my journey. And ever since then, it's always kind of, yeah, I just feel like I've been well indoctrinated into that since the sixth grade. And -hmm. it's just been a theme in my life. Um, And then became a passion, you know, so passion in in dealing with the multicultural market, but in a, in a, in a form that respects and communicates them. And I think that that still carries on even now that I'm producing, like those are the kind of things that I want to produce as far as content, um, some kind of empowerment, something that elevates, illuminates, and uplifts, mm-hmm. you know, that audience. So it sounds 
that uh, part of how you have negotiated white environments is to use your voice to be um, to be educative and to yeah. create a space yeah. for yourself. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, of course, I took a little bit of a break from it by going to Howard. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, you know, recharging, regenerating, uh-huh. you know, really sh- shaping identity. Um, but yeah, definitely. And and I will tell you that it's helped in many cases. I mean, it's helped in the 14 years that I ran my business. Uh-huh. Because again, here I was, an African-American female, um, a, a beginning entrepreneur in marketing. Yeah, You know, that was a very you know, dot, dotish moment. Listen to Stacy talk really wonderfully about the black text that oftentimes African-American people have to pay of being three times as much to get half as far. It's you have to be two times or three times better, knowledgeable, experienced just to be considered equal. You bet. Or half as far. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So so every part of my background within the spaces that I've had to to fill has always had to be about education and about research. And again, that goes back to me being an analytical person to begin with. Um, and so so a transition in, in, in my life um, that I'm sure we're about to get to <laughs> was that you know, I've been running my business for a number of years and I decided that I really wanted to go back to my passion with mm. film. And so I started taking on more entertainment clients while I was in Philadelphia. And at this point, I was divorced, single parent, raising two teens. And um, I said, okay, when my son gets to be out of, he graduates from high school, I'll move to California and really start to transition in the film industry. And um, I, I've had friends who were in the business. Um, Kelly Griffin, one of them, was out, mm-hmm. out here as a writer. Um, mm-hmm. My friend Deb, who, who I mentioned before, mm-hmm. I would come out and visit them all the time. And they were like, Stacy, you got to come out here and, um, and you know move to California. And I'm like, okay, okay. And I tried a couple of different times to make that transition and it, and it really didn't work. So Stacy is about to tell a really interesting story where she is reciprocated for using her seat at the table for good that someone that she grew up with, um, also a native of West Philadelphia, uses his seat to help her to fulfill her dreams. Take a listen. I grew up um, living near next to Will Smith. So at this time, he was here doing films, doing movies and things of that nature. And we had kept in contact with each other. Mm-hmm. And so one time when he was home for Philly in Philly and uh, we were chatting and I told him, you know, I really want to get into film. What do you recommend? Mm-hmm. He was like, you, he says two things. He says, one, I'm about to go on this tour and I'm going to have you come with me, come visit and, you know, get to ask questions to people and, and get, you know, a little bit of an education. He says, and two, you've got to move to, to Los Angeles. And so, you know, I was like, okay, cool trip. Let's do it. And a few months later, when he was doing this, this press tour for mm-hmm. seven pounds, oh, uh-huh. I met him up in Italy and stayed about four or five days. And I hounded everybody from the director to the publicist to the managers, you know, getting any kind of an education agent, any kind of education that I could get. Um, and really, you know, started honing in. That was like my first real start to getting into this. And so the last day before I was about to go home, we met up again, him and I, and he said again, if you really want to be in this business, you need to be in Los Angeles. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, I just, I'm just going to wait a couple of years till my son graduates. And he was like, why? He's like, the best thing you can do for yourself is to fulfill your dreams or you have nothing else to give to anybody else. By August 13th, found a house 
out here in Los Angeles. But um, what ended up happening is that once I got building those relationships on the LA side, I mean, on the Philly side, helped me to build relationships on Sony because this was a Sony film. And, um, you know, my friend who was in the business had, had helped make some introductions. Um, and so they invited me, um, they created a position for me to be there. Um, and I was the only person when I came aboard, not having the real um, film PR experience, but just, I had, you know, business PR experience, but, um, I was the only one who worked both on the Columbia pictures, which is their larger budget films and screen gems, which were their more niche films. So whereas some of them would work what five or so films in a year, I was working like 14 films. And, you know, I also had to prove to a lot of people that, I knew what I was talking about because they had hired agencies in the past. And so it was really interesting because they they let go of the agencies, the full service agencies that they had hired and had me take over everything. As wow. Person. So did they hire you or did they hire Mecca? They hired me. Huh. They hired me. My platform then was like, look, we are we are diverse within our own group. Yeah, and you you, you, know, you might have scratched the surface of it, mm-hmm. but you didn't get down to the depth of it. And so one of my biggest things there was, and and it was, I think that was one of the more hostile environments, I'd have to say, mm-hmm. um, because I had to really prove myself constantly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my biggest platform to to change the dynamic there was that, first of all, as African-Americans, we don't just watch urban films. We watch everything. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, storytelling mm-hmm. has a message, a theme um, for everyone. Mm-hmm. And where where I am coming in from is to broaden that spectrum mm-hmm. so that you're getting more people um, into that message. And so that's why I was really proud of films like Moneyball and Social Network, where I don't even think in Social Network, okay, Rashida Jones was probably the only black person that was in that film. Wow. And so they were myth as to, well, why are you trying to promote Social Network? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you, and so again, it was that analytics, mm-hmm. pulling up the numbers, look at how many blacks are online, you know, who have, who have, Facebook accounts. Like, why wouldn't they want to know? I love that movie, personally. It was a great story, right? It was. It really a great was. story. And it uh-huh. didn't matter what color the audience mm-hmm. was, but they had these blinders that they didn't think that it would be a good uh-huh. a good fit. And I had to appeal to the entire African-American and urban market mm-hmm. across the country. So what I did, again, coming from that multicultural space and really... Um, Another thing that I didn't mention is, is I really have a passion uh, for mentoring whenever I can. Mm-hmm. And because there was always this, even when I was in the, the as a media buyer, it, you know, there was the talk in Philadelphia that there's not enough black talent. And that's why we don't have blacks in advertising. And I'm, and I'm like, there are tons of blacks who are majoring in advertising, the availability, and they're not getting into that funnel for one reason or another. And so it was the same here. Stacy really uses her space and place with a seat at the table to help other people. She talks about an internship program that she set up for HBCU students, historically Black colleges and university students. It's really cool. And so I created um, that HBCU uh-huh. internship program. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I knew that one, I needed to find a way to distribute my messages countrywide. And I thought, what better way to do that than by doing it through HBCUs in which I had come from one of them and giving them the opportunity. There's so much meat <laughs> in what you just said. So much meat. But let me let me just try to, 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 um, yeah. to, to um, dissect just a few things. 
one of the things that I, I, I hear you talking about that has helped in your success is one, knowing yourself. Yes. Being highly competent, extraordinarily so, and, and paying your dues and not just paying your dues, but paying your dues plus the back black tax. Yeah. Right. And how important um, it it was to even be backed up by what would be, in my case, the literature, in your case, the analytics that are connected to your work. I am also highly struck by your sense of adventure (laughs) and your willingness to really just kind of, um, it, it, you know, it goes back to that first generation. Yeah. So it's like, you going to leave your business yeah. and move to California? Like, what would Big Mama say, right? <laughs> right. Like, 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 just completely um, out of the box thinking. But yeah. to get to an out of the box place, right? Exactly. Uh, um, exactly. And uh, so the, it feels like parallels. Uh, another person that I interviewed was uh, Earl Ship. And he was a vice president in, at Dow Chemical. Oh, wow. And he talked about how important it is to advance your career to have a sense of mm-hmm. adventure. Yeah. Um, and he also established an HBCU program nice. at Dow Chemical. Nice. Isn't that awesome? I like, love my HBCU people. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Behold the green and gold. Right. So, <laughs> for Norfolk State, but um, and so I just am struck by that. And then the other thing that uh, for my dissertation many moons ago, so I'm talking 25 years ago, one of the things I looked at was success for African Americans, mm-hmm. and I defined it in a way, and, and particularly in African American women, and what factors led to that. And one of those things was social resources, right? Mm-hmm. And being able to to have somebody open that door for you or just give put a little crack in it that you can put your foot yes. in it. And yes. it, it sounds like that your next door neighbor was that for you that that he just 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 come on. Just just come just come with me and do this thing and we'll see what happens from there. And my guess is that the more you leaned in the easier it became to lean in. Yeah, yeah, it's true. When I see him and I see things he does, it, it makes me so proud. So Stacey, you, you spoke very clearly about um, ways that you have used your voice to create space for yourself, to, to create a living for yourself, um, all of those good things, and that that has been good for you. But part of what I'm wondering is, were there moments as you were navigating white spaces that people wanted to you to lend your voice to something or to speak for something or speak for a group of people that did not feel as empowering? Uh, yeah, um, I've had I've had some real challenging moments that question what road I wanted to take. Do you know what I mean? Um, and again, it was at Sony. I was working on a film that I was so proud. And this was a Screen Gym film. It was mm-hmm. Jumping the Broom. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous movie, right? I was so That was proud. right about the time I got married. I really remember Oh, that. yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. I love that movie. I was so proud that I was going to be working on that movie because for me, it had a theme of black love mm-hmm. um, and a sense of, of, it really broke down a lot of stereotypes I felt um, mm-hmm. that black love can be beautiful and that it showed the diversity of, you know, I even liked the, the conflict was between middle-class and upper-class black. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. that it showed that, you know, because mm-hmm. then that, that showed, oh yeah, we are diverse. Again, okay. and so I was so happy and proud to work on that film. And um, one of the people who dealt with promotional partners had asked me to help her identify who we could go after, who could help promote the film. Um, and so I provided a whole list of, of 
of uh, companies and businesses that I thought would be a good fit for this film. And um, in advertising, there's something called a red book. And mm-hmm. the red book shows you all the brands and who represents the brands. So I was, you know, going through the book and going, looking at my, my, you know, experience and things of that nature to identify some people. And then when it came down to um, restaurants and fast food, quick service restaurants, uh, like mm-hmm. Church's Fried Chicken was on there, um, KFC and stuff. And, and that was one of those moments when I'm like, do I do this or, or, or do I not? And, mm-hmm. um, and not only that, there was also like cosmetics was on there. And so mm-hmm. there were some traditionally um, African-American cosmetic companies that my mother and my grandmother had used, mm-hmm. but nobody in my generation or younger really used. Mm-hmm. And so I had compiled all these lists. And at one point um, I was, I was called in by the head of, of um, Screen Gems department and almost like ridiculed as to why I didn't put the, some of these companies on the list versus others. Sure. And so it was a real educated education moment that I said, you know, you're trying to reach the market. They're not using this product. You know, they're using Mac. It's like, if you, right. if you get right. like 10 black females in here right now and go in their purse, you will not see this brand. You will see this brand. Mm-hmm. It's like, and so if you're really trying to reach that market, this is the brand that you need to go to. And so the whole chicken thing, they were like, well, why didn't you put that? And I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I was like, mm. this movie is a high, you know, high standard movie. And I'm not appealing to stereotypes like that. Like, why would they be a match over somebody else? I gave you, uh-huh. here's, here's certain restaurants. I was like, there's not even chicken in, in the movie. So it doesn't even make sense. You know, so it was it was very interesting. And um, I was told a time or two that I was too passionate. Uh, uh-huh. And I was like, and when since being passionate was a problem. So really what they were trying to say was I was a, the angry black female. Sure. Coded language. Right, right. Uh-huh. But because I had, again, the analytics, the, the stats to back up what I had to say, they, uh-huh. they they had to stand down from it, you know, uh-huh. and I walked away in good consciousness of not appeal, of trying to elevate and not trying uh-huh. to just appeal because that was the pressure that was given to me. Well, and it sounds like that you were trying to use your seat at the table to further the discussion, not to cycle around what has always been dialogue exactly and this was a, an opportune time you know because you talk about all the negative um images that you get out of hollywood for black people so it was mm-hmm. really important for me to be able to show this kind of a movie and, it, and in fact one of the things that i did that was also groundbreaking at sony was that um we we scheduled a special screening and we had the whole cast of the movie and the producers and studio heads talk afterwards. And we got the president of Sony to come in and sit in on it and everything. And we t- the topic was black love in Hollywood. And people mm. were just, you know, so it was really about how well this was done um, and how people appreciated it and, and things of that nature. So it really did open up the door for that. And it was a, a signature event that Sony employees started taking on more and more, you know, that they still do to this day. So I'm kind of proud of that. Nice. Nice. Very cool. What do you think the impact of that, of bearing that burden of, of one, using your voice, creating the space, moving from an educative role, but also um, trying to further the discourse beyond the, what has been the traditional narratives about black people in Hollywood what do you think the impact was on you? On me personally? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's two things that, wow. You know, the image that just came to me is really bad. Um, is is burning, having to 
take on the cross, you know, uh, to, to be the burden for that. Um, uh-huh. it, Cause it is burdensome at times yes. um, uh-huh. because you, when you're trying to change thinking, uh-huh. you're going against inertia almost, Yes, you know, so yes. you have to be really strong. Um, you have to be determined and thank God I'm a very tenacious person. <laughs> So, you know, when I, when I set my heels on something that I'm really passionate about, you're going to give way, you know, you may not Mm -hmm. like it. Um, but, but that's how it, that's how it is. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's not just me, but just in any force. Um, Mm -hmm. and so for me personally, it's, it's been great and it's been bad. Like those, it's so funny. It's the best of times and it was the worst of times. You know, mm-hmm. because I had so much struggle and strife, but it the the mindset did start to change, and mm-hmm. now um, they actually have created a whole diversity department in Sony. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just one person, right? Not just one person. They <laughs> they created a whole department, you know, for it now, and um, yeah, and so I can smile now and say, okay, you know. I went through some things, you know, and and nothing compared to what our ancestors have gone through. Of course, of course. But being able to contribute in some small way to that is really Mm -hmm. satisfying. And two, Mm -hmm. you know what? Oh, my gosh. I just remember a few months ago, I got um, one of my interns reached out to me and he's still in marketing and PR and just Mm -hmm. thanked me for that learning experience in that environment is really, it's really rewarding for me. So I love that. So, so it almost is like, so you bore the cross or you bear the cross or are bearing the cross, maybe all the above. And, um, but there are, there's, it's worth it for you because of some of the legacy things that you've been able to build both in companies and in the discourse, but also in people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's seeing those, you know, planting those seeds and seeing them grow, mm-hmm. you know, and just adding to the network mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is really good. Nice. Yeah. That's really rewarding. So if, if, if the, if the, if the, if there's a cross, how does one cope with it? It goes back to what you were, you were saying before it's source. It's your personal source and it is the source from where you get your information or strength. From. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say that it's definitely been a combination of both it's and, and community okay. again, mm-hmm. it's, so it's being around the right people who will encourage you, who will feed okay. you and help you to grow and also to sharpen, sharpen your sword. Yeah. My, my community of, of, female friends, we're all in the business in some aspect and we love each other. We hate each other, you know, and it's like, we encourage each other to be better people, you know, as well as like mentors. Like I'm in a mentorship group right now where I'm a mentee um, to help transition from my marketing into my producing. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's getting all that information and being fed it. Fed it constantly until it becomes a part of your own DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's knowing from where your source of energy comes mm-hmm. from. Sure. You know, higher higher source, no matter what form you believe it to be in, mm-hmm. and um, and just taking faith, taking that step step by step, mm-hmm. and doing it. And so, you know, that's how I do it. It's just it's day by day. Mm-hmm. identifying what, what my goal is. Mm-hmm. And if one rock comes in the way, it's, it's walk around it, move it, blast it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Till the next one comes until the next one comes and mm-hmm. just know that you're getting closer and closer sure. to where you want to be. And, um, and just being true to yourself. Mm-hmm. Are there times as you think about, um, kind of your trajectory, even from sixth grade on, that you did not feel like educating folks? Or or is there a situation that you believe that it is not appropriate or not 
to educate, not appropriate to educate. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. There we go. Yeah. Um, White people is what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. You know what? It, it, ooh, I'm not trying to get lynched or nothing. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Uh, no, you know what? It, it just seems like it is constantly, for me, it's just like it's a constant. It's okay. not a, a whether you, you can or, or can't or should or shouldn't. It has to happen mm-hmm. for me, in my sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's are no there choice. That you, are there moments that you wouldn't? Yeah, if they are, I will, I will make the effort and there may be a wall that gets hit mm-hmm. where you say, okay, they're not ready. Mm-hmm. And so I will pick up my tools and, and move on. Like, nope, sorry. Mm-hmm. And how do you know that folks are not ready? What helps you to know that? You know what? I, I want to say it's partially spiritual. Mm. Like there's a, you know, you just kind of feel it. Uh-huh. You know, but it's also in the words they say and how uh-huh. how they respond uh-huh. to things that you say. Uh-huh. I mean, because you can, I'm a huge person, as you, as you can hear, on communication and understanding. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that I go by is 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 Stephen Covey's Seven Habits. Or, yeah, uh-huh. and the one about first try to understand before mm-hmm. trying to be understood. Mm-hmm. And that's been a huge part of my my life. That's a really integrated into my DNA. Mm-hmm. And so when you have that that um, motivating force or base, mm-hmm. you can pick up on who is going to be, you know, ready. Mm-hmm. Because you can tr- you know how to try it in different ways. Sure. Um, and you do it in ways that they can relate to and can uh-huh. appeal to. And it, then there's just sometimes that people are just, I want to live in my ignorance uh-huh. is really spiritually what comes out, which just blasts you right back in the face. Right. And that's when, you know, okay, they're not ready uh-huh. and not everyone's always going to be ready. So don't even, don't even think that it's on, on me. Like I failed. Uh-huh. I I might have been, the second attempt out of the 10 that it's going to take. Sure. You know, so every, every um, instance will get you closer and closer to it. So part of what I'm trying to get at is trying to illuminate all of the way things that can influence the fact that one, no one person can speak for 35 million people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because again, it goes back, there's been so many times and I've been the only black person at the table. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just like with the advertising agency example. Um, the chicken on the bone incident. Yes. That's what yeah. I'm calling it. Yeah. Chicken, chicken on the bone. Chicken on the bone. Because it's different than McNuggets that don't have a bone. <laughs> well, I, I, I have to be honest. I don't think I've ever even thought about that. <laughs> that. They are different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. According to them, it's more expensive. But um, yeah. So, so there's been times I've been at the table, and um, I've been asked, and I've heard a lot of other women say, black women um, executives say this as well. What do you think, Stacy? And it's like, okay, I I just look at myself and I see how diverse I am. Um. You know, born and raised in in Philadelphia, exposed to white schools, Catholic education. So I see that I am diverse next to someone else who who sits next to me who was raised in the South, you know, had a totally different experience, still African-American, maybe different social statuses. And so I know that it's ridiculous for me to be to say anything and be like the total answer 
for any of these questions. And so I've always, you know, I would say something, you know, funny saying, oh, well, you know, I'm not the queen of all black people, but this right. is what I think. Mm-hmm. Or I'll say, well, I'm not president of, you know, the African-American community, right. but this is what I think from my perspective. Or and- I missed the last time we had the meeting when we decided how we felt about this. <laughs> right, right, right. I wasn't there. Yeah. So, you know, I'll say something a little quirky that will have them go, you know, have them think, oh, okay, right. She's, you know, mm-hmm. but, and again, it's that education piece again. Mm-hmm. It's like, we don't all think alike. So it's, it's just like this campaign banner you always have to have. Yeah. We don't all think alike, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it does come up. And two, I will also say that I do use it to my advantage to some extent, I'll be Mm -hmm. honest, to be able to elevate the conversation. Sure. You know, to take them beyond, I will make it a point to take it beyond stereotypes, Mm -hmm. you know, because again, it's like I said, I might be be that second wave of 10, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, to change that mindset and get a different, um, and do it softly, you know, because if you, if you smack them in the face with it, they're instantly going to be like, you know, sure. no. Uh-huh. So yeah, there's definitely been times and I always have to be really careful uh-huh. um, with how I answer it. But I do always say, well, you know, we're so diverse. I can only tell you from my perspective and from my background, uh-huh. you know, what I can personally say. And I would recommend we do more research or we talk to more people, we do surveys, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say, you know, well, or, you know, from the, from my experience of the research, this is what I found, you know, but I never, I never just like unequivocally, this is the answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is wise. And so you oh, don't, absolutely. you don't put yourself in the spokes yes. position yeah. As much as you don't want them to put you in that as well. Right. That And that's really interesting though, Stacey, because I had not, I think it's easy to let yourself go there in the moment and be, e- even you yourself, be the spokes yeah. person and fall into that pretty easily, yeah. especially if you are, are the dot. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, it could also get you into some some yeah. um, tricky situations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. down the line as well. I think what one of the things that has helped me is because I've always in my work, my marketing work, been um, had to represent the community. Mm-hmm. It was easier to bring that community into that answer mm-hmm. versus just me. Sure, sure. Which makes sense. That makes perfect sense. So I'm wondering, what would Stacy Brooks tell Stacy Afonso about living and working in white spaces? Ooh, that's a good question. You know what? It's interesting because I think that it was harder then mm. than it than it is now. <laughs> so I guess what. Stacy Brooks would say is um, is develop that shell mm-hmm. and hone in on it mm-hmm. because you're always going to need it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, so the sooner you learn it, the better you will be and the further you'll get mm-hmm. because it's, it's a fact of life. It's not like, you know, because I was, I knew I was going to Howard. Sure. That like that would be the end of having to deal with white people. Obviously not. So so definitely I think um as far as me, the younger me, learn to embrace it is what I think I would mm-hmm. I would definitely have to sell, tell myself. Learn to embrace it mm-hmm. and learn how to work within it. It's mm-hmm. good. And do it as soon as possible. Quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Don't wait until, you know your seventies and eighties or whatever to make peace with it. That's nice. Yeah. What's the one piece of advice that you would give white people in dealing with people of color to make uh, their spaces more inclusive? 
Whew, there's a politically correct one and there's an unpolitically correct one. Hi, hi. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, give, me, give me the politically correct one. Not, I mean, the politically incorrect one. And then maybe that'll lead you to the one that you want to be. Well, no, the one that I, the one that I would, that I immediately say is to search for um, commonality. Mm-hmm. And then that, that leaves that divide a little smaller, mm-hmm. you know, because when you, when you realize, because it's fear mm-hmm. that ignorance is fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And when you start treating people based on common goals, mm-hmm. um, things that you have in common, you, um, you personalize it a lot more. Mm-hmm. The, the politically incorrect is really not that bad. It's that it grows your business. It puts more money on your table. So it's not really, really bad. It's just that if you if you understand that there's that this world is made of diversity, not black, white, Hispanic, or anything, but just multi-level, multifaceted experiences, when you bring a sampling of that into your environment. It grows because it appeals to more people. Mm-hmm. You appeal to more people, um, you know, from a business standpoint, you'll get more business in. Mm-hmm. Um, people want to be respected and cherished and loved. Any resources you want to recommend to our listeners? Oh, geez. I'm not a real good resource person. Well, you talked about Stephen Covey. I was just about to say Stephen so. Covey is great. Mm-hmm. You know, I listen to a lot of spiritual people uh, about, you know, manifestation and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Who's your so, favorite um, in that bunch? Abraham Hicks. Love Abraham Hicks. Um, and then also Bernard Beckwith. Yes. Uh-huh. Stacy, what's your personal motto? Cause it to be done. Cause it to be done. I'm going to write that one down. I, I like that one. Oh, yeah. I learned that back in in my MBA days, mm-hmm. National Bar Association. Uh-huh. The uh, the the executive officer. I don't care. Cause it to be done. So I learned that. I love it early because you know what? There's so I have so many fears, uh-huh. um, and worries and doubts, um, especially when you're trying to accomplish dreams. You know, and so you could easily be wayward somewhere. And at a certain point, you just got to sit still and you go, okay, I'm afraid to pick up the phone and make that call. You know, I'm afraid to do this pitch. Mm-hmm. But if it gets you to the other side, That's right. you just got to cause it to be done. Yeah. Don't worry about all of this stuff. Don't don't let obstacles be in your way. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, because I'm black. Oh, because I'm not educated. You know, I don't have a job any of those things, it's like, it doesn't matter. There's a way to what you want to get to. You just have to cause it to be done. So was there anything that you thought that I would ask that I didn't? No, you know what? I had no idea what you were going to to ask. I just mm-hmm. wanted to be open mm-hmm. to whatever and, mm-hmm. and um, hopefully give great answers. Well, they were phenomenal. Oh, and thank so- you. Goal achieved. You can check that off uh, your list. How's that? Yeah, because, yeah. you know, I, I don't interview very often. Uh-huh. Sure. And so you asked, I was like, okay. <laughs> no, it was, it was lovely. It was it was fantastic. Yeah. It was talking to you. Likewise, I really enjoyed it. Thank you to our guest daughter, Stacey Brooks Alfonso, for joining me on this week's episode of Being the Dot. This episode was edited by Heather Lang. Special thanks to podcast interns Amanda Gillette and Caroline Bowman. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by DavisDeliciousDelights.com. DavisDeliciousDelights.com. Custom-made personalized pastries, cakes, pies, and cookies made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit davisdeliciousdelights.com and use the coupon code BEINGTHEDOT for 20% off orders of $35.99 or more. 
Join us next week when we sit down with a group of children who discuss their responses to the George Floyd murder out of the mouths of babes. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.